So welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host. We're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, which, of course, like most of the country right now, is pretty darn hot. If you value what we do, we could sure use your support. You can visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website. Or if you run a small business or nonprofit doing good work, important caveat, you can also consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Western Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Western and his staff are fluent in both English and Spanish, and the clinic is open from Monday until Friday, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., and also on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, later in the program, we're going to be talking uh, about some of the dangers of carbon dioxide pipelines that are becoming more evident and in and building an interesting coalition of opposition to those pipelines. We'll also be talking about um, a kind of a strange idea. Uh, we love competition in the U.S. One of our listeners suggested a philosophy competition to parallel the Super Bowl. Anyway, we'll talk about that. And in our farm and food segment today, we're going to be talking about peas. That sounds boring, but no, peas actually are the perfect produce, according to Kathy Burns, our Birds and Bees urban farm correspondent. But it's my delight at this point to welcome to the program the mayor of Bentendorf, Iowa, uh, Bob Gallagher. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, I hope you're uh, you're staying as cool as we're trying to stay here in Des Moines. Yeah, we certainly have the same weather, as you know. Yeah. So, hey, um, railroad traffic is uh, about to increase, from what I've understood. The, the Canadian Pacific Railway is... In, is uh, planning to merge with the uh, Kansas City Southern Company. And that would be a significant increase in rail traffic in Iowa, which some would regard as good, and some have concerns about it. And you are among the concerned camp. Tell us what's your take on this uh, development, Bob. Yeah, of course. So in December of last year, Kansas City Pacific Railway announced that it, it completed its acquisition of Kansas City Southern, and they're waiting on the authority at the STB um, to allow the merger or takeover or acquisition to take place. And again, STB um, is STB is the Surface uh, Transportation Board, uh, federal that's agency. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they have an ability to take a look at the environmental impact the merger will have on the track line from Canada to Mexico, making this the first. Um, only single-line railroad linking Canada to Mexico through the U.S. So part of that is good, right? We need to move our goods throughout the country in a more efficient manner, as, as, as expeditiously as we can. And we're seeing some of that uh, inflict pain throughout our country at this point in time. But the downside is that a 300% increase in trains and possibly the length of trains, especially in the area from Clinton to Muscatine, where we sit squarely in the middle of that, um, will cause all kinds of different environmental impacts to the folks who live in these areas. So that's our real concern, and, none, and number one of, uh, on that list is safety. So what, what kind of impacts are we talking about? And again, we're talking about communities along the Iowa side of the Mississippi River. 
Yeah, so from Clinton to Muscatine, we're going to see a 300% increase in the number of trains, okay. and those trains also might get longer. Based upon what we know from the filings of a Canadian Pacific, they will also carry more hazardous material. So our concern in this corridor is really finding a way to get our emergency medical services, police and fire and, and medic, to the area of town between the train tracks and the river and possibly for any help someone may need on the river. We have four or five crossings, and there, if a train were, you know, for instance, going through or stopped, it takes about eight minutes for their current size train, some 1,500 feet, to get through the area here so that we could then access the other side where we have homes and other businesses. So that's the same response time, an urban response time, if you will, for our ambulance service. So if that gets doubled by way of a train in the way where we could really be in, in a bad spot. And that's our biggest concern, finding safe ways to transact, uh, get over, under, whatever, these tracks so, so we can save people who may so need it on the other side. Have there been communities along the river there who've had this problem already with current rail traffic? Well, certainly we do experience it now. For instance, if there's a train stopped, we have folks that go to some of our industrial park businesses over the train or under the train so that they can get to work on time, leaving their cars parked on Highway 67. So we do have experience with this problem. We haven't had a first um, problem where we weren't able to transact the tracks to get to somebody who needed emergency services. But if there's a 300% increase in the time that we'll be down, that leads us to think that there could be yeah. an issue here with getting those services to the other side of the track. So beyond emergency service, uh, other concerns? Well, we've got a great uh, riverfront here. We are been really working hard to uh, revitalize our downtown as a, a destination for entertainment and living. We have a couple of big projects, one some 650 to $700 million project that's going to be impacted by these trains coming through. How so? You may know that we just have a, a, a brand new bridge, the I-74 bridge, $1.2 billion, under which is an urban park. So how, how, how would train the train... track will transact it. How would the trains uh, impact the development projects? Those development projects are right on the riverfront, which is dissected by the train tracks. And if there's an increase to some 300 or more percent of uh, trains coming through, there'll be water stoppage times, certainly more time where pedestrians, bikers, other people who recreate in that area could, uh, you know, could be hit, could, could have a problem with a train. So these are all things that we're really concerned about. Yeah, so another, you know, an issue here in Des Moines, and we, we, we live close to downtown, there are a lot of people who live in downtown Des Moines these days. I mean, that was not the case 15 years ago, but it has become a huge destination for, you know, condominiums and row houses and, and a bunch of other, uh, you know, apartment-type dwellings. And uh, one issue here is trains that travel through downtown at night and blare their whistles at every crossing. And there there have got to be about 10 or 12 crossings through downtown. So you get a pretty impressive uh, flow of, uh, of, of uh, train whistles going for you know, 10, 15 minutes or more at three in the morning. Is yeah, that an, is that an issue for you all as well? Yeah, it certainly can be. This, that's one of the things that we're talking with uh, Canadian Pacific about is one of the environmental impacts is that vibration, that noise. It all comes with a train traveling near, um, you know, places where people live, work, play. So what we're trying to do is work with them to come up with this concept of a quiet zone, and that's existed for a long time, but it costs right. a lot of money. And there are intersections that have to be uh, specifically engineered so that we can in 
get the railroad to not blow that whistle at every intersection right. because of the way it's been yeah. engineered and reconstructed now, I'm aware, uh, for I'm safety. A, I'm aware of these quiet zones, and, 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 and you know, in, in theory, oh, that sounds good. So why doesn't our city council here in Des Moines jump on board that bandwagon and implement these quiet zones, uh, make it a little bit easier on the eardrums for people sleeping in these new downtown condominiums at night? Well, apparently the, the cost of the quiet zone, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, the primary cost of the quiet zone is dumped on the, on the taxpayers, on the local people, and with the, with, the, uh, train, with the railroad company really not picking up uh, much or any of that cost. And maybe I have that wrong. That's what I've heard. No, you're right. Okay. You're 100% so, right. Okay. So if Des Moines, for instance, wanted to do that, they would pay for each quiet zone, and they can be intersections or links of, of the, the tracks, and they're very expensive. Why is and that fair? part of our why negotiation is that fair? with CP now. <laughs> yeah, why is that fair? Why does that make sense? Why why should that all be on the taxpayers and not on the company that's benefiting from this infrastructure? Well, railroad law predates most law in this country, and I uh, they have a lot of power. Yeah. So um, that that's the easy reason. Unfortunately, I wear a mayor hat and a lawyer hat. I'm a lawyer during the day, so that's one of the things that makes it very difficult. It may not be fair, depending on one's perspective, but definitely it's a problem. Hmm. So legal precedent. Well, you know, I've noticed a legal precedent. Um, it kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, it gets taken seriously uh, when there's not a powerful interest on the other side. I mean, take eminent domain law, for example. It never used to be that you could use eminent domain to take land for a private purpose, but along comes a company named Dakota Access, and suddenly, boom, uh, landowners all across Iowa suddenly have lost their property rights in terms of the use of eminent domain specifically for a public purpose. So, you know, we have hit, we have a history of being able to change precedent when we want to. So maybe in this case, we should think about changing precedent. Maybe these railroad companies shouldn't be all powerful. Maybe they shouldn't have that ability to dump the cost of silencing their whistles on the local taxpayers. Just saying. I think that's a good thought, Ed, and I'd like people to talk, contact your senators, Senator Ernst and Senator Grassley, make sure they, and they've been great to work with. They're very well aware of our concerns. This is STB docket number FD36500. That's FD36500. So you can make comments directly to the STB about the environmental impacts as well. And what, That's how we're encouraging folks to get involved. And what specifically can Ernst and Grassley, our senators here in Iowa, what specifically could they do to, to help? Well, I think they can help us put some pressure on Canadian Pacific in their negotiations to alleviate the environmental impacts that these cities, especially in Iowa, because those are Iowa senators, of course, mm -hmm. uh, will those impacts that we're going to have to overcome. And I think they can also put some pressure on the Service Transportation Board or the SDB to ensure that if negotiations are unsuccessful with uh, Canadian Pacific, when the STB gets to set forth the rules that Canadian Pacific must follow to be allowed to move forward with the merger. Mm. Maybe they'll help us to find some ways to get some money or get some quiet zones and maybe some of these at-crossing overpasses that are so needed in our community. So, Bob, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm assuming that this is not only an issue in Iowa, but in other states as well, correct? Correct assumption, yes, sir. What, what, what other places are we looking at in terms of it being a particularly um, uh, you know, uh, serious concern? Well, I think it's all along the pathway, but there is a group of uh, cities in the Chicago area, the Chicago suburbs, who have fought this pretty hard so far. They've hired law firms and they are uh, fi making filings with the STB. 
Um, but there's no place on the tracks that's going to be more affected than the Clinton to Muscatine group. And we've banded together as mayors. We continue to talk and share information. We're a good group of folks who are just trying to work with Canadian Pacific to alleviate some of these environmental impacts that will come to our communities as a direct result of the increase in train traffic and possibly the length of trains and the hazardous materials that will be shipped through our towns. So let, let me let me and let me flip the conversation a little bit here, but on the theme of in, environmentalism, of protecting the environment, doing what's right for our planet, our water, our air. Many would argue, and I would argue as well at times, that uh, train travel is a lot more environmentally friendly than hauling everything by truck. I mean, trucks not only burn more fuel, uh, but they also cause a safety hazard for people driving the interstates. So in some ways, you could argue that the trains are not only safer, uh, but more environmentally friendly. How would you respond to that concern? Well, I think there's some pretty good data that, that would bear that truth, right? But there's great data that would show that barge traffic is even more efficient, less costly, and better for our environment. So it's kind of pick the poison you wish. And I think all three are very important in our transportation of goods throughout our country. So this is not to say that rail traffic is inherently bad. This is to say that this particular merger and the, and the use of the tracks as being proposed creates an environmental impact. And that's a severe impact that we can't just walk away from. That's not fair to the people who live here. Hmm. Is, is there a compromise on the horizon that might uh, make both parties a little bit more happy? We believe so. We continue to negotiate with our friends at Canadian Pacific, as do everybody up and down this uh, riverfront and uh, the tracks that uh, CP would like to be using. Their goal, I believe, is to make sure they have agreements in place with as many communities as possible before the environmental impact first draft report comes out from the STB. And that's, that's soon. Right. That should be in the next couple of weeks, I'm guessing. Uh, so they're working hard to try to figure out ways to make everybody at least agree to a some certain so that they can move forward and show to the STB that they've been a good neighbor in trying to negotiate with all of these communities along the tracks that they intend to use. Yeah. Well, it's one of those sticky issues that you know, if you're far removed from it or if you're focused strictly on the bigger international concerns, it seems trivial. But I know that these things matter a lot, and I commend you for being proactive about it. Uh, folks, we've been talking with uh, Bettendorf, Iowa Mayor Bob Gallagher. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Appreciate the opportunity, Ed. Thank you. Folks, this is Ed Fallon. We've got to take a short break, and when we come back... Uh, we're going to be talking about carbon dioxide pipelines. But first, I want to take us out on something that you will remember. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. 
You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum and greetings from the land of heat and humidity. This is Ed Fallon, your host here in Des Moines, Iowa. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, the niche that we are providing here, that's, you know, that's more important than ever. So please support what we do. You know, you can sign up for our monthly, or our, sorry, our weekly updates. Uh, you know, go to the website, check that out, donate. Actually, ideally, become a monthly donor. We could sure use that. And if you're a business or a local nonprofit, you know, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to psychiatrist uh, Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Joining me now on the program is Jessica Wiskus. Uh, she's a landowner in rural Lynn County, and she has been very active in response to the proposed construction of three carbon dioxide pipelines across Iowa. Jessica, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. And I want to talk about some of the new developments with the pipelines, but I know that there's a, uh, a film coming out. Uh, and again, some folks listening to this program, you, it may have already occurred, but if you're listening before Thursday, uh, you'll have a chance to view a program, uh, a show called... Uh, Dear Mr. President, Dear President Biden, I believe. Yeah, that's the title. It's called Dear President Biden, and it's a documentary that was made by John Bowermaster, and uh, he's a great filmmaker who's done a lot of work for National Geographic before. And um, the film picks up with a, a kind of a critique about energy policy with the Biden administration. And uh, John was out here in Iowa to film and interview some of us who are fighting against the carbon pipelines here in Iowa. So he came last winter when it was a bit desolate looking outside, but he still <laughs> found some, some beautiful scenes to film. And uh, he interviewed some of us who are working together with our neighbors to protest against these pipelines. And the film will be premiered this Thursday, the 23rd, at 6 p.m. That's central time, 6 p.m., and uh, what will happen is that it's a short documentary. It's about 35 minutes long. And so we'll have a chance to view the documentary. It truly will be a premiere. I haven't seen it myself. I was just interviewed for it. And yeah. I know I'm in it, but <laughs> I haven't right. seen it. So it will be a premiere, a true premiere on, on Thursday. And then following the premiere of the film, there will be a national panel discussion about climate change and energy policy. And that will involve people who have been in, 
interviewed in the film from around the country, activists and scientists and uh, others who are standing up and trying to, uh, you know, ask the president to to make good on his promises for a new green economy. So let me ask you, Jessica, again, not, not speaking from the film's perspective, but from your personal perspective, is President Biden doing enough to address the climate crisis and related concerns? Well, in my personal opinion, no, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm coming to that conclusion because I'm sitting on top of this project of the of the carbon uh, carbon dioxide pipelines. And what I learned is that these pipelines really give a, a kind of permission slip to the oil and gas industry to continue polluting, continue producing greenhouse gases. And um, with the thought that, oh, well, we're going to capture and sequester it. But actually what they're capturing and sequestering isn't the pollution from the fossil fuels. It's simply, you know, a, re a result of the fermentation of ethanol, at least in Iowa. And that CO2 is then used to to pull up, uh, it's called enhanced oil recovery, to pull up more fossil fuels and burn them. So this is not a solution <laughs> to climate change. No, no. Uh, this is <laughs> really no. just creating more greenhouse gases. Now, early on, early on, the company, well, Summit was the first uh, company to put forth the proposal, and Summit is Iowa-based, uh, and their, their proposal was couched in lots of glowing terms about their impact, their favorable impact on the climate, climate crisis. And uh, and yet a lot of those claims, you know, and you just kind of sum some of them up pretty well, have been debunked. This is not I, th I think one of their claims was this would be the equivalent of taking 32,000 cars off the road. Well, you know, with all the criticism they're getting for basically greenwashing, are they still making those claims or have they kind of, you know, pivoted in their description as to why these carbon pipelines are needed? Well, no, they're still making those claims, and I believe that they have to make those claims because, you know, of course, these projects, all three of these projects are going to come up before the Iowa Utilities Board, and they are requesting use of eminent domain. Now, Navigator and Wolf Carbon Solutions, the other two that you hadn't mentioned yet, have not yet completed their filing, and so we don't know whether they will, in fact, pull the trigger on eminent domain, but some it has. They completed their filing. And they are requesting use of eminent domain. Now, in order for them to have permission to do that in the state of Iowa, they have to prove somehow that this is a, quote, common good, that this is a good for the public of Iowa. And that's why we see them continuing to make these claims about, you know, being green and having this become a great thing for, for climate. But what we know is that this is really just a a strategy by the oil yeah. and gas industry. And so once you peel back the layers, you see that it's not for the good of Iowa. But the companies still have to make that claim because they want eminent domain. They want permission from the state mm -hmm. to take away landowners' property rights and, and to use the, the land for their own private profits. So they're going to continue to make this claim. And it's nothing new. I mean, the oil and gas industry in their own publications have been have been talking about this for years and years, and they see it as a kind of existential uh, marketing tool. Uh, they know that they're they're going to be on the way out. You know, they have to be on the way out unless they can sort of reconfigure this and turn it into a, a kind of ah, well, look, actually, we're green. <laughs> and that's what they're <laughs> trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, I I remember the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, struggle yeah. very clearly, and uh, and you know it. 
that that company also argued that this is um, this this oil pipeline running through Iowa is good for Iowa. And their arguments were so weak, you would think, well, that should be easy to shoot that one down. And one of the arguments was, you know, even though this pipeline's running through Iowa, you know, even though eminent domain usually involves a project that Iowans can use, a road, a sewer line, a water line, a power line, a fiber optic line, mm-hmm. uh, even though this won't be that same type of project, Iowans will benefit because that gas will come, that, that, that oil will come back to them in the form of gas for their cars and tractors. Mm-hmm. And it was, mm-hmm. a, it was the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know tend, uh, the, the, it, was a, it was an argument hung on a very, very thin string, and yet it convinced the utilities board. And <laughs> my, my concern is even though the arguments being made by Summit and Navigator and Wolf are equally weak, uh, that they, they may still be able to persuade the utilities board that somehow that justifies the use of eminent domain. Yeah, uh, of course, that's what we're all concerned about, right. those of us who are landowners out here. I mean, that's our principal concern is the use of eminent domain. So uh, as you pointed out, the door has already been opened uh, because of the Dakota access. And so now the, the bar is fairly low <laughs> for proving mm. Right. That it's a common good for Iowans, and that's really problematic. And that's why I think, you know, you see so many people out here in Iowa, landowners, who are adamantly opposed to this because we can see that this is not a good deal for Iowa. And we understand that the Iowa Utilities Board is comprised of only three individuals, and they're not elected, they're appointed, and so they're not accountable to us, you know, to to. Mm. <laughs> the people of Iowa. And we know which way the winds are blowing here. We know that there's billions of dollars at stake for these private corporations. And so if they have to take our land to do it, they're going to find a way to do it. Yeah. So well, They're going to try uh, to find a way. The only thing stronger than money is votes. And when voters are ticked off and united in opposition to something or in favor of something, that can be a huge counterbalance to the influence of money. And I think one thing we're seeing here. Uh, at least in my, my perception, is that uh, you know the, the Dakota Access Pipeline crossed 350 miles of Iowa farm ground. These three pipelines combined would cut across 2,000 miles. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's like five times as much. And uh, yeah. that's, yeah. A, in other words, a lot more landowners, a lot more communities, a lot more people are affected, a lot more voters are being affected. Are you seeing, and again, maybe the Dakota Access experience help give people some instruction, you know, some understanding as to how this is going to work and what it's really going to do. You know, what is it really going to do to your land when they come in and tear it up and, you know, bring the, you know, remove the topsoil and throw the uh, subsoil over, over a different place and pretend they don't mix them together. What, what happens when they work in wet weather? All these different things that will happen. They say they won't happen, but we've seen them happen with the Dakota Access Pipeline. So my suspicion is, given the fact that this is a much bigger project, given the fact that we have this history, that this opposition (laughs) may be stronger and may be more capable of sending a clear message to the political leadership that this shall not happen or there will be political consequences at the the voting booth. Well, we really hope so, uh, because we hope that the people still have a say in their government. And as you point out, I mean, these projects are going to crisscross the entire state. 
And whether you're a landowner or not, you're going to be affected by this because, you know, basically we're talking about building a, a hazardous sewer system through the entire state. And that's not what Iowa is about. I mean, Iowa is about this precious soil that we have and this, this gift that we have from Mother Nature that took thousands of years to make. And we're learning more and more about what we must do to conserve this precious resource. And we see that Iowa, I think, has a very valuable role to play as a state that can grow food, <laughs> you know, and that can be part of solutions and green solutions to our challenging times. But if we're yeah. ripping up the soil and destroying the soil integrity, of course, it's as if um, all that we can be and all the good that we can do is is being put at risk here. So yeah. I very much hope that, you know, we will have a, a say um, uh, when it comes to state politics. But as you're probably aware, not many people are running on this issue. And a lot of people are not really uh, politicians at the state level or at the federal level are not talking about right. this issue. And it seems to be a, a, a delicate issue that politicians are almost afraid and to, and to speak about. And this is an issue nationwide. I mean, the current uh, carbon pipeline uh, mileage in the U.S. is 5,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And the proposal, and this is a lot of it's based on the fact that there are now federal tax credits to make this happen, right. to make companies like Summit and Navigator and, and Wolf rich, there, there's now these tax credits. And so you've got this uh, proposal to build out the network of carbon pipelines from the current 5,000 miles to, I believe, 65,000 miles. Yeah, that, it's called, uh, in some of the publications, it's referred to as a CO2 superhighway. And right. those are publications from those who support it. The right. idea is that yeah, this is going to be an infrastructure that would almost mirror the present oil and gas infrastructure and that it would capture the pure CO2 from the ethanol plants and ship it to various depleted oil fields in Illinois, in North Dakota, in the Permian Basin in Texas. So if you look at uh, a study, which is Princeton's net zero study, um, it, it shows a map of what is forecast for these pipelines, and it's in, it's incredible. It's a little bit frightening. It it covers the entire country, and I say it's it's frightening because these are incredibly dangerous. So as you mentioned, five thousand miles right now that sounds like a lot, but that's less than one percent of all the pipelines in our nation, and so it's a tiny tiny fraction in terms of the experience we have with these pipelines. And already we have seen that their ruptures are, are catastrophic because CO2 doesn't blow up, it doesn't turn into flames, as the companies will, will remind you time and time again, but it asphyxiates yeah. people. We saw that happen it, in the town of Mississippi. It destroys right? life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, now the, you, the navigator is, and again, when we, we say navigator, folks, we mean Valero. Uh, this is a big oil yes. company, and that's yeah. who's behind the navigator pipeline. And that's yes. the one that would go through your property, correct? Yes, that was the one that was uh, going to come through my property. But as you're probably aware, their route has been changing. And so we just got a new release of a map last week that Navigator has changed their route significantly. It's no longer going through me and my neighbors over here, but that's because the third pipeline is aiming for us now, <laughs> the Wolf oh. Carbon Solutions. So, so we can't really breathe a sigh of relief. And, right. and anyway, it's it's not really about your own personal land at this point. Right. I mean, it's just so 
bad for Iowa and and all rural families and small towns that yeah. these pipelines would go. And, and again, again these three pipelines also affect uh, Minnesota, uh, North Dakota, yeah. South Dakota, Nebraska, Illinois. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the entire upper Midwest region. Are you networking with people in those states who are concerned about them as well? Absolutely. And that's one of the most exciting things is that we can all kind of get on board together. And so there are various groups and individuals who are working in Illinois and Minnesota and, like you said, very active in South Dakota and North Dakota and Nebraska. And it, these groups have had a lot of experience with other pipeline projects, and CO2 is new to them as it is to all of us. I mean, CO2 is very new to the Midwest. This is a technology that's been used basically in desolate areas of Texas, Wyoming, et cetera, where there weren't homes and, and farmhouses and small towns and, and people living there. So so the Midwest is really getting together and saying, look, uh, we're, we're not like the, the open lands of New Mexico or Texas or Oklahoma. We have a lot of people living here and we've got to uh, figure out what this means for us in our region and in our state. So, yeah, there are groups of us who get together uh, basically on, on Zoom every week and uh, try to work together and help each other. Yeah. And that's been a great thing to, to meet others <laughs> around yeah. the country who are yeah, doing the same good. thing. Well, and again, uh, you're about to get some increased attention with the uh, short film by John Bowermaster, Dear President Biden. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, remind us uh, when that's coming out and what people can do to uh, to appreciate it. Oh, thanks very much. So that's coming out this Thursday. This is going to be the premiere Thursday, the 23rd. It will uh, kick off at 6 p.m. Central Time. And you do need to register in advance to be able to see the films. The film will be premiered for 35 minutes, and then we will have a national panel dis discussion with the filmmaker and with other activists across the country, including myself, answering questions and talking about, you know, how we can move forward. Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you uh, so much for your effort, for your uh, taking the time to uh, join us today. Uh, folks, we're talking with Jessica Wiskus. She's a landowner in Lynn County, Iowa, on the, well, previously on the route of the proposed Valero Navigator Pipeline, now on the route of the uh, ADM, that's Archer Daniels Midland Wolf Pipeline. Yes. Uh, congratulations, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. We know what we're doing now. We're all, we're all getting together and we're working together. So, you know, as long as you have good neighbors, you have hope of, of making a difference. That's what it's all about. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, Jessica, so. thanks again for joining us. Uh, folks, um, this is Ed Fallon, your host. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, Mark Clipsham is going to join us. You know, um, Maybe you're maybe you're all, maybe you get excited about the Super Bowl. Maybe you were excited about the NBA Finals, but Mark's got an idea. Why not the Super Bowl NBA Finals equivalent in the realm of philosophy, a philosophy competition, if you will? Um, yeah, we'll see what Mark thinks about that and how that might fly. And uh, on the way out, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to uh, leave you with this thought. Socrates himself was permanently pissed. 
George Stewart, Bill on his own free will, on Hop on Shandy was particularly ill. Later this day, could stick it away. Half a bread of whiskey every day. Aristotle, Aristotle was a bagger for the bottle. Hobbs was fond of his dram. And Rainy Day Carp was a drunken fart. I drink, therefore I am. Yes, Socrates himself is particularly missed. A lovely little thing about a bagger when he's pissed. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at the Story County Veterinary Clinic Facebook page. All right, so um, Mark Clipson is going to join us here on the program, folks. Um, and uh, we got to thinking the other day, you know, Americans love their Super Bowl. Americans love, I loved the NBA Finals. I loved it because the Boston Celtics were in it, and how much fun is that? But Americans love comedy. We, comp we compete about everything. Heck, Kathy and I compete about who's going to find the most pennies when we go out for a walk. Americans love competition. So Mark's idea, basically a philosophy smackdown. Mark, welcome to the program. How you doing, Ed? Why do, got a good one, got why, a good one for you. Yeah, why do you want to do this? <laughs> um, I would love to see, uh, there's an old joke about two uh, sects of a uh, religion that had separated for a thousand years. They meet again for a competition. It's kind of like that. You know, so one of them throws out a saying and the other one responds to it. So I would love to have an Olympics of sort, a total mental Olympics as opposed to just physical, you know, the balance we need. So one of the sayings, I listened to this uh, radio serial, uh, ZBS Productions, nonprofit, it's called Fourth Tower of Inverness, probably 20 times. And one of, the, one of the lines, and it took me a long time to kind of really get my head around it, and I added a little bit, it, it was a Rakshasas, which we're not gonna get into that, said to Jack, the hero, non-hero actually why are you pulling a raft down an ever-narrowing channel through a forest full of nothing but trees and rakshasas what's a raka hubbaba a rakshasa is a uh ogre indian uh origin ogre uh, demon 
kind of thing. Uh, oh. our, our our weakness part of our being. You so know? like uh, like like Shrek. Oh no no no! Well okay, that's a very philosophical thing. So while Shrek was seen as an ogre, it was merely his outward appearance. When in reality. He's just someone living his own life, and he wishes people would leave him alone. But by virtue of his appearance, they're bothering him. Right, um, and, and, the, and the exact exact opposite opposite with the his uh, his his wife uh, Fiona, who right. thought she was a redheaded princess, but it turns out she was just another ogre. <laughs> well, I said that the the parallel, the mirror of the Rakshasa would be like an Upa Guru, who's anything that helps you through life or teaches you something is an upa guru. Well, oh, like, like, like wine? Uh, funny you should mention that in the story in the Bible of Darius. That was one of the questions. What is stronger, the king, the wine, or women? And slash truth. Uh, I don't know who that is. Did women win? Of course. Well, good. Maybe women will continue <laughs> to win because we women need all the help they can get right now with the insanities happening at the state and federal level. But hey, uh, philo- a philosophy. No, we, we we need all the help we can. Well, get I know we all do. Yeah. How about that? But there hey, but, but but a philosophy competition. Okay, I'm I'm trying to figure out how this works. Uh, uh, is it is it any different than a high school debate team? Those are some more. Uh, call them physically manifested uh, facts, if you will, as opposed to this being the level a little more intuitive, a little more four-dimensional of spider web. So in other words, the the connection is not as tight, it's not as solid, and yet when you get into it, you recognize it. Here's one that took me probably six years to get. And it only I only got it when it was happening to me, and I went, oh, that's what that means. And the saying is, with a crow as your guide, you'll be led to the corpses of dogs. And I went, wow. And then I got in this really sticky situation with, oh, they're using, there's people had to give me references, and most of them were very good. A couple of them had a, had a grudge against me. Uh, I was really good, and they didn't like that. And that's what the board making the decision used to guide them was those people. I said, what about all these other great references? They go, well, that's nice, but we're paying attention to these. I went, okay, oh. So I, I, you're, you're losing me here, Mark. Back to the philosophy competition. Okay. Well, that, the, so that was the philosophy. They're using a crow as their guide. Okay. And I said, on the other hand, if you use bees as your guide, you'll be led to fields of nectar-laden flowers. Yeah, so or, that was the philosophy part is what are you using to guide you and look at our society our society is being guided by consumption and, for lack of a better word, greed, uh, degradation. It's not positive. It's not building. It's not better. It's compromise. It's sacrifice mm-hmm. in the name of a better life. It's all backwards. So, so yeah. So I, I want to lay aside the philosophy competition for a minute here and take up on, sure. on that theme again. I, I see that. I see the connection. Maybe that maybe maybe that's not the connection that most people would see, but what you're talking about now is something of critical importance. The the uh, the disconnect between the uh, what I mean, what most most people have bought into the growth economy and not through any fault of their own. It's what's it's what's presented to us. We have to do this. Mm-hmm. We have to continue to grow. Cities keep getting bigger. Universities keep getting bigger. Our girth keeps getting bigger. We hope that our budget, our, our, our income keeps getting bigger because otherwise you won't keep up with the growing inflation. So um, 
Yeah, this is a, a system that we have we have kind of been made to buy into. It's it's just what's thrown at us. But I think more and more well, people are saying maybe this is not working real well, and that's that's where you come in. Well, I say the, the the economic growth at a personal level is an illusion because the the goalposts keep getting reset. Right. Um, I made a little joke with you some time ago about you know the old uh, uh, AA alcoholics not hi my name is Mark I'm addicted you know. And Ed would say, what are you addicted to? Is that I'm addicted to the growth economy. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't get out of it. Uh, sprawl. You know, like, what's my option? I can quit cigarettes. It's really hard. I can quit eating meat. I can quit drinking. I can do all these things. But the growth economy and sprawl, not so much an option. What is my other option? You would ask about specific instances, and I thought, hmm, okay, well, really close to home, my mom's sump pump stopped working, right? Basement floods, uh, you got to clean it all up. It's a big mess. In other words, the only way the basement stays dry is via electric, power grid, centralization. I am constantly, not constantly, in the back of my mind, there's always this anxiety of what happens if we have a storm here, ice storm, wind storm, whatever, power lines get knocked down by basement floods, Five days, no dehumidifier, no sump pump. Uh, it could literally ruin my financial future or certainly be massively inconvenient, you know, personal belongings and all that. And I really, that's the way it's set up is to be dependent upon this. You, you are, in essence, addicted to it. You don't have, and you can't get off of it. Okay, so the, in, this, in this example, the, uh, the, uh, the opposing view would say, well, you know, you got something has to keep that sump pump running, and if it's not the electric power grid that we all share a you know share a cost of, uh, then it's got to be your individual solar panels or your wind turbine or your geothermal system or something that you've got installed yourself. And um, the argument would be that well, it's much more cost effective in terms of a larger group of people to have this centralized system that provides this power, and maybe it goes off once in a while. Sorry about your sump pump. You know, good luck cleaning the basement up. Hopefully it won't happen no, again. No, and, and the mold in your house and the whole bit because it's right. as heck outside. Well, th there you go. The, we are trading resilience for efficiency just like the way they do cathodes and all that kind of stuff. When something goes wrong, it goes massively wrong. Uh, we had someone over last weekend there in the pharmacy industry, and she was explaining, and I kind of knew this, the body has redundant systems. If something fails, there's a backup. You know, it's amazing. The body is amazing. Just barely scratched the surface, and she already knows way more than I ever will. So I've been looking up vertical axis wind generators. They're not really expensive with some battery backup. Well, okay, hang, hang on a second, Mark. Those... Mark, Mark, anytime somebody introduces a term that nobody knows, i got to ask you what it is. Vertical axis wind turbine? Is that what you said? Oh, oh. Yeah, right. What so is that? The, what is that? You see the horizontal axis are the great big ones, right? They're the okay, the big wind turbines out on the fields that go 250, 450 feet tall. Those are those are horizontal. Horizontal. Okay. But the thing is, they're hooked into the grid. So while it may be green energy, if an ice storm comes along, I don't care how much power it's generating, it's not going to get to my house. And what's this vertical wind system of which you speak? Uh, vertical axis wind generator, very small. I could put it on the south side of my property, 10 or 12 feet off the ground, and it could be charging batteries 
and now I have that windstorm, that ice storm, whatever. The power lines go down for two or three days. My sump pump's still working. I got my refrigerator powered. Uh, I got some LED lights okay. on. I, got, I have my backup wood stove. So you know what? Yeah, not so bad. So how come, yeah. the, how come these aren't? I mean, I, I, I track this stuff, and I did, I've not heard of this. So maybe I'm just uh, maybe I'm just spending too much time you know, sleeping. I don't know. But I, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's, like, it's like organic spring mix and uh, organic food and tofu. They don't advertise. It's not particularly profitable. Right. And certainly not at the scale. So um, the sort of critical mass of profit potential of the Southwest. This would be perfect for it. You've so, got overload on the heat grid, okay. you know, solar panels and the, the wind generator. I have told several of my clients that, I said, put the extra thousand dollars investment in here when everyone else is literally burning up. Uh, your food's cold. You got right. a little window air conditioner in one room of the house. You know your sump pumps working or whatever. It's like you know what? I'm I'm good for a while. So what does a system like that cost? Uh, depending on your square footage, you could go six hundred to fifteen hundred bucks. Really, not that bad. Six. Say that again. Six hundred. To fifteen hundred to maybe fifteen hundred bucks. You can go, you know, like uh, the six hundred watts up to five thousand watts, pretty easy. Okay. Five thousand watts gonna keep you going. You know, it's gonna keep right. your batteries charged up and that kind of thing. Okay. And uh, and you are you able to store that power, or is it once it's uh, once the wind dies down, do you no longer have that capacity? So that that includes that would be with a battery pack. You know, it's your okay. wind generator. Once again, these things are only, I mean, you could put them higher, but goodness gracious, in the last three weeks, wow. I mean, I could have had my 10 feet off the ground, and I, it would have been overcharging. I would it, it would have charged the batteries up, and the rest of it had just been a whirly gig out in my yard. So, so let, 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 let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, this would compete with the very large utility monopoly corporations, uh, dominance of, uh, of wind energy. Uh, they don't like competition. I mean, I know we like competition, football, uh, basketball, philosophy, but the, the, the big corporations don't like competition. And, and so and, and this like, would... We like the illusion of competition. <laughs> right, okay, sure. But, the, but this would... I, I'm guessing that this is uh, not that popular or well-known because it would run afoul of, in this case, in our case, Mid-American Energy or Alliance domination of, of, uh, of energy in the state. I, I was having a very hard, very hard time. I finally got a hold of Iowa Energy Commission, I think it is, because I could not find a clearinghouse of unbiased source. Still haven't really found it. There's a lot of stuff out there, and it'll say, this is the most efficient. By the way, they're very quiet. They're very small. They're recyclable. Uh, they're easy to maintain. They're just, and, and it makes you independent Sure, you can still be hooked up to the grid, yeah. but if the grid goes down, like I said, you've got batteries backed up, you got your LED lights, you've got your little window air conditioner, your sump pump, yeah. just the very basic, you know, instead yeah. of a, very cool. a gas gas generator, I've got that, which I don't have to go get gas. I don't care about the price of gas. Right. I'm, I'm good. Hey, I got to run to a break, um, but folks, we've been talking with Mark Clipsham, architect, deep thinker, uh, uh, initiator of the... Uh, 
concept of a philosophy competition, which I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that wouldn't catch on in the 15 minutes we had to talk about it. But I knew something good would come out of this conversation that was of practical value. Not that philosophy doesn't have its practical applications, but a vertical, uh, vertical access wind generator that might cost between 600 and 1500 bucks. That's something I think most of our listeners, philosophically inclined or otherwise, can wrap their minds around. Mark. They don't kill birds, and they're very quiet. What more do you want? Good. And they don't cause cancer. Yep. <laughs> right. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right, folks, this is Ed Fallon. We've got to run to a short break, and when we come back, Kathy Burns, uh, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, is going to join us. Uh, and we're going to be talking about peas, because apparently peas are the perfect produce. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Sitting by the roadside on a summer's day Chatting with my messmates, passing time away Lying in the shadow underneath the trees Goodness how delicious, eating goober peas Peas, 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 eating goober peas Goodness how delicious, eating goober peas Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, folks, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor. Or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can become a sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Well, we thought we solved all the problems of the uh, of the times, but um, apparently the question remains: What is the perfect food? Uh, and you know, <laughs> Kathy Burns knows more about food than I do because she's a better cook. I'm I'm a bigger eater. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but um, you've been doing research. I, I I just okay. Do not go anywhere, folks. Mm-hmm. This is not a segment. That is the food equivalent of watching paint dry, okay? But we're <laughs> going we're gonna to discuss peas, peas and why they are the perfect produce. And even though, perfect. even though there's some cool alliteration happening there, that's only the start of why we want to talk about peas. <laughs> well, every once in a while, if you've listened to these segments, you'll notice I, I kind of like to dig into a particular produce. 
Um, we've done segments on the history of the tomato uh, for human consumption, the potato, have to talk about maybe potatoes. a couple of others. And uh, I just, I happened to, we, our pea pods are really coming on strong right yeah. now. And I thought, I'm just going to learn a little bit more about peas. And first of all, Ed, um, can I talk about a little pea vocabulary? I think so. I think the FCC allows that. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm P-E-A. And so we're going to be throwing around some terms. The field pea is uh, the, the common term for the peas that are grown to dry, like for pea soup. The garden pea is the kinds of peas that you would eat fresh, either as the pods or as the fully developed little, little green round pea, the spherical pea that, you know, you get on your plate. Um, two subdivisions of the garden pea, snow peas and snap peas. The snow pea was developed in Asia. It's got the flat pod. It's eaten usually for the pod instead of the peas itself. It usually won't develop a, a nice big pea, but a snap pea um, also called a sugar snap pea, is a cross. It was developed in the 70s between the garden pea and the snow pea, and it's eaten either as the pods or you can leave them to develop fully and enjoy those Okay, peas. I guess I never knew there was a difference between snow and snap, but that, I didn't. I didn't really sense. either know. I knew that right. there was some reason for the two terms, and I had. I didn't know it was developed in the 70s. Right, wow. As if we didn't already have enough, have enough pea goodness in the world. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, and your grandkids just love them, don't they? They do. I think yours would, too, if they right. could grow them better in Florida. But it might be a little too hot. But um, the granddaughters came yesterday, and in addition to the beans right on the vine, they ate peas and peas and peas, and they cleaned the vines off of the, um, the snap peas. And guess what? We have more snap peas on the vine today. So we like, yeah, just, we like this, this crop just, a lot. They just produce like crazy. And this variety we, we grow is Venson Swedish. It's uh, originally the seed is from uh, seed savers in Decora. Now, of course, we're saving our own seed. And I think this is mm -hmm. the second or third round of that. And they just keep going. That's one reason we really like peas is that they are the easiest kind of seed to save in my mind. You just mm. leave them hang on the vine and they get dried and you pull them out of the pod. So at this point, the big question on everyone's mind who's listening is, where the heck did the pea come from in the first place? <laughs> well, um, I, I looked at thoughtcode.com. It's an expert-created content site. And it seems that the earliest human consumption of wild peas was at least 23,000 years ago and possibly... Even Neanderthals were eating peas earlier mm. than that. Um, <laughs> That's it, something exciting yeah. about thinking that we're eating the same food that Neanderthals ate. Well, they originated in Turkey and Iraq. Um, they were domesticated originally oh. in about 7,000 B.C. They were probably domesticated about the same time as wheat and barley. Um, Noah probably took some on the ark with him. I hope so. Something yeah. had to feed those animals that went with him. Um, you know, all the way up to uh, how they came to America, or the United States. It seems there's a story that Christopher Columbus brought some over um, to so the West Indies, and they they spread throughout the whole area. Oh, so one, one good thing that Christopher Columbus did that would be the one. <laughs> yeah, right. That would it. be the one. Uh, and and they're they're super nutritious. Yeah, um, yeah. Peas. I like how versatile they are too. I mean, you can use them in stir fries, mm -hmm. steam them, soups, and raw, of course. Right. And I'm probably missing a couple options. Well, if we look at dried garden or oh, sugar sure. and snap peas, um, split pea soup. 
kind of tends to have a bad sound to it, but I looked up some recipes, and there are some new recipes they are worth uh, looking up. Look up um, new recipes for split pea soup, and then uh, you can just throw them into any kind of soup that you're making right. just to add some more protein. For garden peas, um, you know, try a pasta with a cream sauce, especially if that sauce mm. has a hint of lemon. Okay. That's really good. I saw a recipe for crostini with peas and ricotta. Mm. How pretty was that? So picture? I know that our discerning audience is going to say, okay, so peas sound like they grow good. They got a cool history. Uh, there's lots of varieties. Mm -hmm. But are they good for you? They're they're so very good for you. Okay. Um, we're, Better than we're, artichokes? We're, well, we're talking, are you talking physically or emotionally? Um, nutritionally. So <laughs> I am seeing that they have a huge, the word is huge in the source, the foodprint.org says they have um, huge amounts of vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin K, folate, they're high in magnesium, iron, zinc, and uh, oh, they listed mag magnesium twice. So they're doubly high in that. <laughs> uh, they, the dried peas also um, have more protein than the fresh peas, obviously, and then um, folate and potassium. So, yeah, they are action-packed yeah. produce. Yeah, all right. And um, the snow peas have a lot of vitamin C, and it says one cup gives you 128% of your vitamin C needs. Yeah. 128%. So yeah, don't that's, eat that's the whole cup. Yeah, don't so don't eat the whole thing, right. You know, one thing I like about peas is, uh, I mean, again, we, we grow food in a very small space. So we have very limited horizontal options, but we have a lot. The sky's the limit in terms of vertical options. And one thing cool about peas is mm -hmm. you can trellis them. Now, they won't grow to be as tall as, uh, I mean, a tomato will get to be 30 feet if you let it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, peas will get to be, what, six, five, six, seven feet tall? Yeah, but I don't recommend them. growing them any higher than you can reach. Right, You're sure, hauling out the not, ladder yeah. all the time. But you can, but you yeah, can you make can. arches. We've yeah. got archways from Willow out there yeah. and using that space. Yeah, anyway. So grow some peas. And, you know, the other thing, too, is you can grow them in the spring and again in the fall. Mm, right, right, and right. And depending on where you are in the country, here in Iowa, in, in, the, uh, in central Iowa, we plant our second crop of peas early August. Mm -hmm. And we, and we get a lot of our fall garden stuff. Yeah, and last crops. year, the, I'd say the fall crop was as good as the spring crop. So, hey, there. Ha-ha. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks to our other guests today, folks, Bob Gallagher, Jessica Wiskus, and Mark Klipsham. And thanks also to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy here, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. And thanks, of course, also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And remember, your support for this program matters a lot, so go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of intriguing, interesting, provocative, and cutting-edge talk radio.